I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Today we're looking at chapter 5, and you can find that on pages 1030 and 1031 in the red Bibles and the chairs around you. We're continuing on in our study of this book, and in many ways we're picking up where we left off last week. Uh, chapters 4 and 5 really go together as a unit. It's one vision that uh, John is getting where God has opened the door of heaven, the spiritual door of heaven, pulling back the spiritual curtain of heaven to let John have just a peek, a glimpse at what's happening in the throne room of heaven, not something that's going to happen in the future, but something that's happening right then in that moment, the spiritual reality of what's happening to give them God's perspective. So this is uh, the second part of what John sees in chapter 5 today. So I encourage you to listen as I read to you from chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. John says, Then I saw in the right hand hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. In golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you gave John and these early first century Christians this glimpse into what is happening in the throne room of heaven. And we thank you that by the Holy Spirit, you had these words recorded and written down so that not only it could be a blessing to those who received it initially, but that we reading it today might get to read it as well. We pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see wonderful things from this portion of your word. 
That as a result, Father, that we would be strengthened in our faith. That we too would get a glimpse into heaven and that we would long for that day when our voices will join together with this wonderful hymn that is being sung in heaven. Until that day, Father, fill us with a greater understanding of your love and grace and mercy. And so give us hope and peace and joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A friend of a friend of mine is an occupational therapist at a large medical facility in, I believe, uh, the St. Louis area. And this occupational therapist works primarily with burn patients. And if you know anything about burn patients, you know that they are some of the most severe cases of pain, excruciating pain, as they go through the very difficult process of debridement and being bandaged and going over and over and over again through that process and trying to get healing. And... Uh, this occupational therapist talks about the fact that he regularly deals with patients who will tell him that they would prefer to die as opposed to actually going through the process because of how painful it is, nerves being uh, excruciatingly painful. This occupational occupational therapist usually gets some of the most severe patients. And the reason why is first because he's incredibly gentle in working with his patients. But it's also, it's not just because he's so gentle, but it's also because he is particularly powerful in his ability to persuade his patients to endure, to persevere through the difficulty, through the pain, through the suffering, and to be healed and to go through that entire process. He talks about the fact that there's usually a time uh, while he's uh, dealing with various patients that things get incredibly intense. The pain is almost unbearable. They want to give up. They want to stop. And he says that at that time what he does is he'll take the hands of those patients that he has and he'll take them in his own hands. And something happens when he does that. The patients look down and they feel his hands and they see his hands and they see the wounds of a burn victim. The occupational therapist himself has had his hands burned very severely. And when he takes the hands of his patients and they look down and they see his hands, they recognize this isn't just a therapist who's trying to to help me to get through the pain and to get through the suffering. This is someone who understands what it feels like. This is someone who has been there, who knows this pain and knows what I am experiencing. And this man says that usually during that time, situations change because the patients find a new strength and a new hope and a new motivation to persevere and power to persevere. They realize they're not just dealing with a therapist. They're dealing with a wounded healer. They're dealing with someone who understands and they're dealing with someone who cares for them. Here we are in the middle of Revelations, Revelation 4 and 5. 
And as we finished up chapters 2 and 3, we finished looking at those seven churches that letters from Jesus were written to in Asia Minor in the first century. And we know that those churches represent all of Christ's churches throughout redemptive history. And we've looked at those churches and how they were dealing with incredible difficulties, incredible trials, incredible suffering. And Jesus invites John to come and take a look at what's happening behind the scenes. What, what's happening behind the spiritual curtain or the spiritual door of heaven. And he gives John the chance to, to peer into the throne room of heaven. To get a glimpse of what's happening from God's perspective. And as we talked about last week, that is meant to fill them with hope and strength and power. To persevere and to endure through whatever they're called to go through in this life. Last week we were looking at chapter 4 and we saw this picture of the Creator God, all-powerful and omnipotent and sovereign and in control of everything, filling us with hope, filling us with peace, knowing that our God is a God who is in control. Today we get, in the same vision, we get a different picture. A picture not only of God as Creator, but, as God, but God as Redeemer. As a powerful lion and as a gentle lamb. In Revelation 4 and 5, we get this picture of the power and the authority and the sovereignty of our God to bring about the redemption of His people. And here today, we see this picture of a wounded healer. Of one who is not only powerful and authoritative and sovereign, but also loving and caring. He is the Lamb of God who knows and understands suffering. Who knows and understands what it means to be wounded. To have pain and trials. He's a wounded healer. And so he is one that we can trust. Let's, let's look and see what John sees here in Revelation chapter 5. Let's look and see the plan and the problem that God reveals to him and what's happening in the throne room of heaven. And then the provision that is made for that problem. And then lastly, the praise that we see taking place in heaven itself. And we'll finish by trying to figure out what all this means for us today. So first of all, what is the plan that John sees? Well, if you look back at verse 1, John says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on back sealed with seven seals. A scroll was a very common ancient tool uh, during those times. Uh, a, period, a piece of parchment that was written on and then rolled up and passed around. Uh, many of the books of the Bible were written on scrolls. Sometimes they would be feet long. Uh, and uh, it was very common, very common thing for John to see. And when he says that he sees this scroll, everybody understood what he was referring to uh, in terms of what it was, the scroll. But there's been a lot of speculation as to exactly what this scroll is what it means. There are some that believe that this is the book of life being referred to here. Uh, that reference to uh, the book that has the names of all of God's people uh, written in it. Uh, some have conjectured that this is some form of a last will and testament of Jesus himself. Others have thought this is Jesus's commentary on the Old Testament, kind of an Old Testament commentary by the one that the Old Testament was pointing to. 
But we don't have to speculate about what this scroll is in actuality because when we come to chapter 6 through 8, the scroll is opened and it is revealed what is inside. And what we read in chapter 6 through 8 is that the scroll contains the master plan, the master eternal plan of God. His plan for redeeming His people and for bringing justice against the evil and sin of this world. That's what this scroll is. It is the master plan of God. His eternal plan to redeem His people and to judge all evil and wickedness. And notice how it's described. It's written on both the front and the back. That's a very unusual thing. Most times in ancient cultures, the scroll would just be written on the inside. So that when you rolled it up, you couldn't see the writing on the inside. But this scroll is written on both sides. And also notice that it's sealed with seven seals. And we've talked about the number seven means perfection. And so this picture that John is getting is of the eternal master plan of God to bring about the redemption of his people and to bring justice into this world. And it is complete. There is no room for there to be any more written down. It's written on the front and the back. And it's perfect. It is comprehensive. It is unchangeable. There's nothing that can be added or subtracted. It is perfect. That is what John sees in the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne. But there's a problem. The problem that we we start to see that there's a problem because in verse 4, John is not happy. In fact, what is he doing? He's weeping and not just weeping, he's weeping loudly. There's a problem that is causing John to be driven to despair and to weeping loudly. So what is that problem? We see that in verses 2 through 4. A mighty and powerful angel comes forward and cries out for someone to open the scroll and to read it. God's master plan. His plan of redemption and bringing justice to His creation must be revealed It must be realized if the scroll is not open and the master plan of God is not unrolled, then indeed creation is doomed and we will be left in our sins. Dr. Poitras in his commentary on uh, this portion of Revelation 5 says the destiny of John and of the church and of the universe hangs in the balance over the question of whether someone can open the scroll. Could someone open the scroll and defect the wonderful eternal plan of God such that redemption would be revealed and justice would be had? And we read in verse 3, there is no one that can open the scroll. That's why John's weeping. That's why John is filled with this sense of despair. He's starting to recognize that if, if the scroll's not open, if no one can open the scroll, then we are left in our sins and the wickedness of the world will win. I heard a quote this past week by uh, the famous British philosopher and Nobel laureate Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell uh, lived in the 20th century And considered one of the leading atheist thinkers of the 20th century. Didn't believe that God existed. He died in 1970 and found out otherwise. He believed that history 
was just a chance product of causeless random events. And I came across this quote uh, this week in thinking about the despair that John was starting to feel as he began to weep. And I want you to listen to this quote. Listen to the raw honesty of this atheist, Bertrand Russell. Man's origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of random collections of atoms. Realists must accept that all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Wow. The honesty of a man who did not know the one true God and recognizing that the firm foundation of unyielding despair is the only foundation by which we can build our lives. Now, John was not an atheist. And John was not despairing to the level that Bertrand Russell must have been feeling. But he's beginning to feel that despair. If no one can open the scroll, then there is no salvation and there is no justice and evil wins. And so he weeps. He weeps loudly. But notice here, the sadness and the despair are met with a provision. That's what we see in verses 5 and following. We read that one of the elders said to John, Weep no more, behold. Weep no more, behold. In fact, there is one who is able and worthy to open the scroll. There is one who will reveal and who will who will bring to realization the master plan of redemption and salvation. And notice how he's described, how John describes him to us. We read in verse 5 that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a title that's taken from Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is blessing his sons. And one of his sons is named Judah. And Judah is the one through whom the Messiah's line, the promised Messiah, would run. And here John is recognizing that now the lion of the tribe of Judah has arrived. A lion is a, a symbol of power and strength and majesty and royalty. That this Old Testament prophecy was coming to fruition. What John was seeing was now the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the warrior who was power to reign and to rule and who would fulfill God's covenant promise, God's covenant line. But he's not just the lion of the tribe of Judah. How else is he described? Also in verse 5, he's described as the root of David. And that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 11, as well as a couple other places in the prophets in Jeremiah and Zechariah. Again, he is being referenced as one who is a fulfillment of God's covenant promises. He is one who is a descendant of David who, was come, who would come and rule on the throne of David. But notice, 
John says, as he sees Jesus, he's not just the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the root of David. That means Jesus is not just a descendant of David, he's not just a branch of the line of David, he is the root of David. This is the greater and the better David. When John looks and sees Jesus, the one who is able to take the scroll from the, th- from the right hand of the one who is sitting on the throne, he is seeing one who is all-powerful, strong, and majestic. He's seeing the royal Messiah who had come to fulfill God's covenant promises. And he is able to open the scroll. But notice that's not all of how he describes him. In verses 6 and 7, he gives us another description. In between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw not a lion, but a lamb. Look how this lamb is described. He's between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. In other words, he's in the midst of them. He's in the midst of his people. He's in the midst of his creatures that are singing his praise. And he is the one, as we read here, that looked as though he had been slain. Now that word slain is not one we use a lot these days. But it just means that he looked as if he had been slaughtered. As if he had been murdered. As if he had been put to death. In other words, he had wounds. Not only did he have wounds, he had seven horns. And we've talked before about how the number seven means complete or perfect. And a horn was a symbol for power. And so what John is seeing here is a lamb that looks as if it had been slain. It has wounds and yet it is one with complete and perfect power. He also has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And we've seen that phrase before. And we've talked about how it's referring to the perfect Holy Spirit. This Lamb of God had the Holy Spirit in all fullness and power. And I want you to notice what the Lamb is doing. What is the Lamb doing? Look and see. The Lamb is standing. This is a Lamb that looks as if it has been killed, has been murdered, it had been put to death. He had the wounds of being killed. Just as Jesus had the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. But this lamb is not a lamb that is dead. Instead, it is standing triumphantly in the midst of his people and creation. Now, we don't have to wonder who this lamb is. In fact, John would have known quite well. The one who is seeing this vision and writing it down for us to be able to read it is also the John that wrote the Gospel of John. And early in the Gospel of John, John hears John the Baptist seeing Jesus coming toward John the Baptist and writes down in his Gospel, John, what John the Baptist says as Jesus approached him. And what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God. It's not just a term that John the Baptist used for Jesus and that John knew as well as he wrote down in his gospel and in Revelation. But Isaiah and Paul and Peter all used that term for Jesus. And Jesus even referred to himself as a lamb as he talked to his disciples about how he was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Here is the one. Here is the one who took the scroll from the right hand of the one on the throne. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He is the lamb of God. Who although he looks as if he's been slain and has wounds. He is standing in triumph. He has the power and the worth to open the scroll. 
And notice, when he takes the scroll from the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne, what happens? All of heaven breaks out in a worship service. All of heaven breaks out in singing this, what we read in verse 9, a new song or a new hymn. Do you see how there are three verses to this hymn? There are three stanzas that are each building on one another, bigger and bigger. The first verse that is sung is sung that we read in verses 8 through 10 is sung by the four living creatures and 24 elders. Now, those are the ones we looked at last week. Those four living creatures representing all of God's creatures and the 24 elders representing all of God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And even now they're gathered together in heaven and they are breaking out in the first verse of this hymn. They, we read that they fell down in front of the Lamb. They take up musical instruments. They took up a harp. And they have the golden bowls of incense, symbolic of the prayers of the saints of the people. And they break out in this first verse of this hymn. What do they say? What do they sing? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. They are praising and ascribing worth to this Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, because of His work of redemption. His death on the cross. His securing God's people. His making us a kingdom. And priests to our God. And as the first verse of the hymn begins to wind down, we see another group of people joining in for the second verse. We see that in verses 11 and 12. John says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. In other words, that's to say they were uncountable. There were so many angels that they couldn't be counted. And they joined their voices together with all of God's people and all of God's creatures. And they begin to sing the second verse of this wonderful hymn. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and hour and honor and glory and blessing. And as the second verse of the hymn begins to wind down, then there are more voices that are joining in for the third verse in verses 13 and 14. He says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all of the creatures of the universe join in for this third verse, praising the Lamb. And notice he says, they do it with all that is in them. There's only one thing that's left to be said when they finish that third verse. It's what we read about the, the, the four living creatures saying in verse 14. Amen. This is true. This is right. This is good. Amen. Amen. May it be so. Well, this is the picture that John gets, this plan that he sees of the scroll, the, the master plan of God's redeeming love for his people and bringing justice to put all sin and evil down once and for all. And the problem of seemingly no one being able to open the scroll, but then the reminder that there is a provision, there is one who can open the scroll. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah, it is the root of David that had been promised. It is the very Lamb of God. The wounded healer, the wounded redeemer.
And in response, all of heaven breaks out in singing this wonderful new hymn. So what do we do with all of this? How is this meant to help us? Well, three things for us as we finish today. The first is the recognition that there's only one who can open the scroll. I know that seems obvious, but it's something we need to meditate on just for a moment. There is only one. There's only one who has the power and the worth to open, to affect, to realize the redeeming plan of God and to bring an end to all evil. There is only one. It is the Lamb of God. It is Jesus Christ Himself. There is no other way. There is no other way we can have our sins paid for. There is no other way for there to be justice finally and completely and for evil to be defeated. There is only one. It is the Lamb of God. And it's good for us to meditate on that for a moment because we... Even as God's people, even as those who profess our faith in this Lamb of God, so often look for other things to be our Savior. So often look to other things to give us significance and peace and purpose in this life. We look to our careers. Our careers can't be the one. We look to having a good name and being well-liked and respected and thought well of. That can't be the one. There's only one that can open this scroll. There's only one that can provide this salvation and purpose and peace in this world. We look to family, either getting one or having the perfect one. But family isn't the one. There is only one. It is the Lamb of God. We look to trying being to be free of all of our health challenges and our problems. But that isn't what brings us purpose and significance and peace in this world. There is only one. Salvation is only from one way. Significance and purpose and peace is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way on heaven or on earth to have our sins forgiven and to be given acceptance with our Father in heaven. So why do we look for salvation and significance in so many other places? One other aspect of this before we move on to the second thing is I want you to see that this one didn't just make it possible to open the scroll, but he actually did open it. Isn't that what we read in verse 9? Jesus is worthy. Why? Not because he made the ransoming of our souls possible and then left it up to us to do the rest of it. What does he say? Jesus is worthy because he actually ransomed souls. He actually ransomed a people for God. He actually accomplished and achieved salvation for his people. And that is incredibly good news to us. The Father sent the Son into the world to purchase, to redeem, to ransom his people And Jesus came and he did it. He accomplished his work. And if you're in Christ this morning, you are ransomed. You are redeemed. It's something we need to remind ourselves of frequently when we're tempted to doubt that God could forgive and accept somebody like me. It's already finished. It's already completed. The Lamb of God has already done it. A second takeaway for us today is I want us to think about whether we have tears like John. Why was John crying? Why was he weeping loudly? It's because he thought for a moment 
that there was no one that could open the scroll. There was no one who could bring about the the master plan of God for redemption and justice in this world. He realized that if there was no one that could open the scroll, no one who could affect God's master plan, then we were all doomed and lost in our sin and evil will win. He realizes that there would be no promise being fulfilled of people from every tribe and language and people and nation being in heaven. Now, we don't have to weep over that possibility because we know that the one came and that he actually did accomplish God's plan. However, I wonder if we're moved like John to weep when we think about people who don't believe the gospel. Who don't believe the wonderful good news of God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are lost in their sin. People without the gospel. Do you see in verse 10 that that one of the things that has happened because the Lamb of God had the power and the worth to open the scroll is that not only do we have our sins paid for and we've been ransomed, but what else are we told? We are made to be priests to God. Now, what does a priest do? Very simply put, a priest points people to the Lord. And, And that's... Who we are. We have been made by God's redeeming us through the Lamb of God. We've been made priests. We've been made people who understand the gospel. And now we have the privilege and the responsibility to point people to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder, as we think about that wonderful blessing and responsibility that we have, if it causes us to be sorrowful and to be filled with tears. Do we model our Savior taking this gospel of grace with the power of the lion of truth, but with the gentleness and compassion of a lamb? Before we move on, let me just say this, is that I do know that there are some who do, who do know what these tears look like, because you've told me. I know that there are some in this room that do shed tears over your loved ones, your family, your friends. Uh, who who don't know the Lord Jesus. And, and you are driven to tears for them. And so to you I would say, don't lose hope. Don't give up praying for your loved ones. Don't give up asking for the Lord's wisdom and giving you the right words to speak at the right time. And know this, that there is no heart that is too lost or too hard for the Lamb of God to redeem. Lastly, we need to be reminded this morning that we have a wounded Savior. We have a Savior who was wounded in His work of redeeming us. I mean, the Bible told us in the Old Testament that that was going to be the case. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15, where we're told that a Redeemer would come. We're also told that that Redeemer would crush the head of the serpent, but that His heel would be bruised. And here we have the effect of that. We have the lamb looking as if he had been slain. He had the wounds. He had the wounds of having fulfilled his mission as the Redeemer. And so what that means for us is that we can have hope in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our difficult circumstances and trials in this life and pain that we experience. We know that he knows what it's like and he understands. Some of you know the name 
James Montgomery Boyce. Dr. Boyce was the senior pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1968 to 2000. A wonderful, long tenure of, of being the pastor of that church. He was an incredible preacher, Bible teacher, the founder of Bible Study Fellowship, a clear, important voice of Scripture's authority and inerrancy. And I was reminded this past week of the fact that as he was getting closer and closer to his death, he didn't know it at the time, but early in the year 2000, he was preaching through the book of Revelation. And as it got closer to the summertime, he was actually in the passages that we're looking at last week and this week. He was in Revelation 4 and 5. And as he was preaching on those passages, he could tell something wasn't right. There was something wrong with his body. And so he went to the doctor and the doctor's visit revealed that he had cancer. And he would die within a few short weeks. Uh, His disease progressed so rapidly that after he announced to the staff of the church and the congregation uh, what was happening, uh, he wasn't able to preach anymore. He wasn't strong enough and his voice wasn't strong enough to allow him to preach. He gave a farewell address to the congregation where he didn't preach his last sermon, but he, he told them about what was going on and he shared with them uh, his, his diagnosis and the severity of it. And, and, and after he did that, he was asked by someone in the congregation about his view of God's sovereignty in the midst of his diagnosis. Dr. Boyce told them and told all that were there that day that he believed that his illness and his impending death was not an accident. It wasn't a mistake that God was at work in it. And he said that he knew that it was possible to believe that God is sovereign and yet to think that he is indifferent and uncaring and unloving. But Boyce said that he knew God was not only sovereign over the cancer diagnosis and his impending death, but that he also knew his pain and his suffering because God the Son had walked this earth as a wounded Redeemer. He had walked through pain. He had walked through suffering. He had walked through temptation. After Dr. Boyce finished telling the congregation about his situation, he sat back down in his seat in the congregation. A pastor friend of mine was sitting behind him that day. The congregation stood to sing a final hymn and Dr. Boyce was so weak that he couldn't actually stand and sing. And so my pastor friend said that Dr. Boyce took the hymnal and put it back down on the seat, which would, would be for his last time. And he turned and started to walk out of the room. And as he did, he passed my pastor friend that was sitting right behind him that was losing it at this point, watching what was happening. And he said that Dr. Boyce stopped as he came to him. And he looked him in the eyes and he grabbed his arm and he smiled at him and he said, Press on, brother. Fight the good fight. Dr. Boyce believed not only that God is sovereign and in control, but that he also cares and that he understands our pain. He understands what we are enduring and going through in this life because God the Son, our Savior, is a wounded Savior and Redeemer. He has endured much worse than anything that we will be called to go through in this life. He knows what it's like. He's been there. And as one pastor said, the hands that send us trials and challenges to endure in this life are the same hands with the marks of the wounds of suffering and crucifixion. Much like that occupational therapist at the beginning of the sermon. 
And so the result is we not only have a Savior who is wounded, we have a Savior who can be trusted. He loves us. He cares for us. And He will provide whatever it is we need that we might endure and persevere to the end. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us this this small and short glimpse into what John saw as he got to see into the throne room of heaven itself. I pray that you would work in us through the Holy Spirit the ability to believe and to trust, especially in the midst of all of the difficult things that we go through in this life. Would you do this, Father, because we ask you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus himself. Amen.